right, well, again, it's great to see all of you here this morning. Today is the conclusion of our series called Overflow, and I'm excited to get into that, but before I do, I have to tell you, this is uh, kind of a big day for me. As of two days ago, I moved into a brand new category, and here's what I mean. Uh, Most of you are familiar with the connection cards that we have in our bulletin every week, and by the way, we do appreciate all of you who fill these out and turn them in. But anyway, uh, on the guest side of this card, you can check off a box to indicate your age group. And guess what? On Friday, I had a birthday. I am now 46 years old, and that means on this card, I have moved on from the 26 to 45 age category. I've graduated to the 46 to 65 category. That's right. I've reached a whole new level of maturity here. These days, it's uh, kind of alarming, actually, how quickly my personal odometer is racking up the miles. But here's why I bring this up. The title of today's message is A Mature Heart. And we're going to talk about growing into maturity today, but we need to acknowledge something from the get-go here. Being alive for a lot of years does not always translate into maturity, does it? We've seen this, haven't we? Uh, We've seen people who are old enough to know better but they still approach life in a very immature way. We've seen people who avoid responsibility or they mishandle finances or they mishandle important relationships in their lives. And a lack of maturity is a real problem, isn't it? But you know, immaturity is especially problematic in the church setting. Sometimes you encounter people who have been calling themselves Christians for years, but you don't really see them growing spiritually. You don't see much evidence that they're changing to become more like Jesus. The sad truth is, being in church for a lot of years does not always translate into spiritual maturity. But here is perhaps the most shocking thing of all. I've been using the word they, like we're not talking about any of us, but sometimes... We are the ones who aren't growing the way we should be. For example, I think about myself. I think about all the advantages that I've been given. I was raised to know Christ, and I've had so many Christians in my life who have been a great example for me. And I have been working in the church for years now. But honestly, I have to say, my level of spiritual maturity is still not where it could be or where it should be. But this week, I've been thinking about the Apostle Paul and one of the goals that he wrote about in his letter to the Colossian church. Paul said, Christ is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that, and here's the goal, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We're going to hear that word mature a lot today from Scripture. But now you look at Paul's life. Paul traveled all over the Mediterranean world, preaching the gospel, planting churches, leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. But what does Paul say here? He was not content to just make a bunch of converts to the Christian faith. Paul 
didn't want to leave a legacy of baby Christians who never grew up. His desire was deeper than that. Paul wanted to present everyone to God as fully mature disciples of Christ. He wanted the same thing that God wants. God wants to see the church full of people who actually resemble Jesus. People who live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved. That's the kind of church that will change the world. You know, we have the same goal here at Plum Creek today. That's been the point of this overflow series. We've said the goal of this series is real heart change that leads to real life change. We know that we don't become like Jesus by simply trying to change our behavior. It doesn't work that way. We've learned this from the theme verse for this series. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said these words. He said, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So according to Jesus, this is a heart issue. Whatever is in your heart is what shows up in your life. But in the first week of this series, we talked about a sobering fact. The natural state of our hearts is not good. We want to do the right thing, but we also have this tendency toward wrong thoughts and wrong actions. So how do we fix our heart problem? Well, God himself gives us the solution over in Ezekiel chapter 36. God says, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, these words were written a long time before Jesus came into this world. But Jesus is the one who made it possible for us to get a new heart. He came to, to the earth on a rescue mission. And Jesus was not just a great teacher, not just a great miracle worker. He was the Son of God, and He was the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He died to pay the penalty for our sins, and He offered us the gift of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. And when we accept this gift that comes only through Jesus, God will do several things. We just read about two of them in Ezekiel 36. First, God will give you a new heart. So that means uh, it's a clean slate, a fresh start. And second, God will put His Spirit in you. And with God's Holy Spirit, you have a power inside of you that enables you to, to, to grow into maturity. So that's the plan. When you give your life to Jesus and you're baptized into Him, that's just the beginning. And from that point, God wants us to keep growing and maturing, becoming more like Jesus. And that's why Paul had this goal, to present everyone fully mature in Christ. But for the past two weeks, we've talked about how that maturing process can be derailed. We've talked about the battle that goes on in our hearts and in our minds. It's a spiritual struggle. Last week, we compared that struggle to the story of the two dogs. If you were here, you probably remember this. In, in that story, there's a good dog and a bad dog inside each one of us. And they're always 
fighting each other. And do you remember which one wins? The dog that wins is the one you feed. That's right. So last Sunday, we said those two dogs are like two opposing forces inside every follower of Christ. In one corner, you have the desires of the flesh. And in the other corner, you have the Holy Spirit. The flesh is like the bad dog. And it represents those desires in us that have become twisted and distorted. And we don't want to feed that bad dog. We want to feed the good dog. So when followers of Christ welcome the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives, it's like feeding the good dog. And we welcome the Holy Spirit by focusing on the things of Christ and by letting God speak to us through Scripture and by following wherever the Spirit leads. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, that's when we really start to grow into maturity. That's when we see the fruit of the Spirit really showing up in our lives. And you may remember the list. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, that list includes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All those qualities are considered the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the qualities that God wants to develop in us. So that's where we've been for the past few weeks. And like I said, we want to wrap up today with this theme of spiritual maturity. We don't want to be stunted in our spiritual growth. We want to keep growing, keep maturing. But as I've been praying about how to approach the conclusion of this series, I've had a growing conviction that I should maybe end on a personal note. This morning, I want to share a little of my heart with you. Because the truth is, I do want to see all of us grow into spiritual maturity, but I don't want to just point my finger and say, hey, we should be doing this. I don't want this to feel like a mere obligation or a duty. I want to give you some of the why behind this goal. Because some of us might be thinking, yeah, uh, why should I care so much about spiritual maturity? After all, if, if I'm already forgiven because of Jesus and, and I no longer have to earn God's approval, well then, is it really that important to keep growing and keep becoming more like Jesus? Because, you know, it's hard to be like Jesus. And I get tired of trying and failing. And I, I just honestly want to ease up and put things on cruise control for a while. And trust me, I relate to those feelings. I've had those feelings. But I've also come to realize that the more we grow into maturity in Christ, the more we open up the door to God's blessing. And to put it simply, that's where I'm coming from today. I want those blessings for you. So I brought a short list with me today, and I want to share this list with you. And if I could sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with each one of you, Here's some of what I would share. Five things that I wish for you on the journey to a mature heart in Christ. And this may not be a perfect list, but it's what's on my heart this week. So I'll give you these five things, and then we'll be out of here. Sound good? All right, here we go. Number one on my list. The first thing that I wish for you is that in the near future, you will take a step of faith that doesn't come easy. 
And I know that may sound strange. You may be like, yeah, that's nice, Doug. Right out the gate here, you want me to do something hard. And the truth is, yeah, I, I do want that. Because I believe that God calls us to do hard things. Not just for the sake of doing hard things, but for, for his own purpose, for his own glory. But then when we take these steps of faith, we are blessed in so many different ways. When God leads you to do something hard or something that intimidates you, and then you step out on faith and you actually do it, you'll find yourself hitting a spiritual growth spurt because you'll see firsthand that you can trust God. He will take care of you. He will equip you to do whatever he's called you to do, and your faith in him will grow stronger and stronger. I saw this principle in action just a few days ago. This is the time of year at Plum Creek when we look at adding new elders or deacons to our leadership team. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that we have a vote to confirm new leaders later in the fall. But right now is the time when we're praying and talking about who these new leaders might be. So last week, we sat down with a few of these prospective leaders. And can I just tell you, those conversations were so encouraging to me. Because in each case, you have someone who has been called on to step up, to face new challenges and accept new responsibilities. And as I hear these prospective leaders say, you know, if God wants me to serve in this way, I'm willing. As I, as I hear that, I can literally watch as God is growing their faith. I, I see that God is blessing them as they go through this process. And I want you to experience that blessing too partly because I care about you, but partly because God has called me to help you do that. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we go to this passage fairly often around here because it gives an important picture of what God wants the church to look like. In verse 11, we see that God has gifted and called certain individuals into leadership roles because the church has a need for these leaders. You need an evangelist to preach the good news about Jesus. Uh, you need a pastor to shepherd and care for the flock. You need a teacher to explain the truth of God's word. But according to this passage, what is it that all these leaders are supposed to be doing? We, we read that in verse 12. The role of the leaders is to equip God's people for works of service. So the leaders should be helping everyone in the church to engage in meaningful ministry. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. So that we all reach unity in the faith. So that we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So I take this calling personally, and that's why it bothers me if I hear about a member of Plum Creek who's really struggling to find a place to serve, I, I want to see everybody here serving. I want to see everybody faithful and 
fruitful and fulfilled in ministry, making a difference, a real difference, by doing what God has called you to do. And like I said a few weeks ago, if you've had trouble finding your place, finding, finding the right role to, to serve, please let us know. Uh, talk to any of the ministers on staff or send us an email. We'd be glad to get you plugged in. That may be your next step of faith, but maybe not. Maybe your step is something completely different. God may lead you to do something difficult or encouraging where you work or in your home or with your group of friends. God may lead you to give up a particular sin. He, he may send you to an unfamiliar place to work with unfamiliar people and, and to show his love in a way that makes you very uncomfortable. It could be on the other side of the world for all I know. There are so many possibilities for what your step of faith may be, but when the time comes, my wish is that you will be bold, that you'll step up, you'll sacrifice your comfort, and you'll take the leap. Okay, that's the first wish on my list, and I better move a little quicker if we're going to get through all these. So here's another desire that is on my heart. My wish is that you will grow more grounded in God's word rather than drifting along with the world's ever-changing standards. This is, a, this is a burden that I have right now because the world seems to get crazier every day. If you see something out there that's red, there will be someone who stands up and, and calls it yellow. If you see something that's green, somebody will try to tell you that it's orange. It's a little frustrating. And even if you tried to play by the world's rules, you're, you're bound to lose because the standards keep changing. And while I feel like things are pretty extreme right now, the truth is, the world has always been this way to some extent. Paul explains that back in Ephesians chapter 4, right where we left off a minute ago. Uh, Paul was talking about the church reaching maturity in Christ, and he goes on here in verse 14. Paul says that when we have become mature, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So it's no good if Christians are just tossed back and forth, drifting along with whatever ideas are floating on the wind at any given time. We need to become mature Christians, Christians who speak truth to one another in love. But the only way to know the truth is to be grounded in Scripture. That was a big reason for last Sunday's challenge, to keep a feed-the-good-dog diary for one week. Now, if you weren't here for that, this was the basic idea. The challenge was to keep track of whatever you take into your mind and into your heart and then evaluate whether those things are having a positive or negative influence on you spiritually. By tracking what we watch and what we read and what we listen to, we can get a more accurate picture of which dog we've been feeding. So after a week, based on real data, how much good stuff is filling my mind, like Scripture, versus the bad stuff that actually pulls me away from God, like a lot of the entertainment options out there. It's been interesting to see all the different approaches to this challenge and to get feedback from many of you. 
Some of you didn't make a chart like the, the sample that we have here. You just decided to be more intentional about what's filling your mind. And that's great. For me, though, I went full-out Excel spreadsheet. And, and I tried to be as accurate as I could, especially since I was the one who gave this challenge. So all through the week, I, I kept going back to this chart, and I had these columns where I, I tracked you know, the number of positive influence minutes versus the number of negative minutes. And, and I, I was happy to see that the positive influence very much outweighed the negative. But you know what? I have to be careful with an exercise like this because I could very easily slip into a legalistic approach to spiritual growth. I came up with my own definition of legalism, and I'll share it with you. Legalism is trying to win with God or with others by doing all the right things. Now, I hope you took up this challenge last week, and I hope you kept a, a Feed the Good Dog diary. But I also think it's appropriate to mention a caution. We need to be careful not to pursue spiritual disciplines with a legalistic mindset. Because it's counterproductive if I start to think that I'm earning brownie points from God by doing good things. It's also counterproductive if I start comparing my spiritual habits with other people and then feeling better or worse about myself. You see, here's what legalism will do to you. If you feel like you're winning, legalism leads you to pride and self-righteousness. On the other hand, if you feel like you're losing, you start to feel guilty and defeated and you just want to quit. So what should we do? How do we fight the threat of legalism? Do we just abandon the pursuit of spiritual disciplines like prayer and scripture reading? Absolutely not. We can't do that. That is a recipe for immaturity, leaving us blown here and there by every wind of teaching. That is not a path to spiritual growth. There's a quote that I saw this week from a preacher named Colin Smith, and, and he had some good advice on this. He said, don't let the fear of legalism rob you of the benefits of a regular pattern of walking with God. There's just too much good that comes from a life of walking with God on a consistent basis. Now, I, I bring up the threat of legalism because I'm preaching to myself here. I know that I have to watch out for that threat. But there are other things that can negatively affect our walk with God. Things like busyness or laziness or just a lack of motivation. So you may need to take this quote from Colin Smith and cross out fear of legalism and then write in whatever it is that applies to you. For example, you could write, don't let a, a lack of motivation rob you of the benefits of a regular pattern of walking with God. Just take this quote and make it personal to you. But this is my wish for, for all of us that you would continue to feed the good dog, whether you put it on a chart or not. I want to see all of us grounded in God's word. I want us to be more influenced by the Holy Spirit than by anything that's out there in the culture. So I know I, I still have three things left on my list, but we can go through these pretty quickly. We're up to number three. My third wish is that your trials will be a catalyst for growing closer to Christ. Now, just to be clear, I don't want to see you go through trials. I, I do want to see you uh, 
doing hard things and taking challenging steps of faith, but I really wish that you could avoid the kind of hardships that I see many of you going through right now. However, here's what I know. Whether we want them or not, hardships will come. Jesus promised us that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. So we can't escape trials. The question is, what happens to us as we go through the trials? Will we grow spiritually? When life gets difficult, will we turn away from God? Or will he become our rock and our shield and our salvation? Look at James chapter 1, starting with verse 2. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's that word again, mature. And and I wouldn't choose this particular method for developing a mature heart, but apparently this is a part of God's plan for how we grow. And here in James chapter 1, the formula looks like this. Trials plus perseverance, endurance, keeping the faith, holding on, equals maturity. So that's what I want for you. When those inevitable trials come your way, I I want you to say, Jesus told me this would happen. I don't need to be surprised. I just need to turn to him. I'm going to hold on to him, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit shape my heart as I go through this difficult season. And when you come out of the other side, your heart will be different. You will have grown to be a little more like Jesus, and that's a good thing. All right, just two more. My fourth wish, and and this is something that I pray for on a regular basis, is that you will experience the joy of knowing that you played a significant role in leading someone to Christ. Some of you know that joy, and you remember how it affected your relationship with Jesus. Because when you get a front row seat to to watch Jesus transform a person's life, man, that, that reminds you of the power of the gospel. It reminds you of what an amazing and precious gift this is. You know, we talk about the gospel here every single week, the the good news that Jesus gave up his life so that we could have life instead of death. We talk about the gospel so often that it can become commonplace. But when God uses you to help someone else find what you have found, It all comes rushing back. It renews your love and your gratitude for Christ. And it's another another one of those times when your faith can skyrocket. So I want to ask you this morning, are you still praying for your one? Are you going to God in the morning and saying, God, please send me one person today, one person to show your love to? When was the last time you invited someone to church? When was the last time you brought someone with you to church? Because you know, being here is a a different experience when you've brought someone with you who needs Jesus. You'll find yourself thinking, all right, Doug, this sermon better be good because I finally got my friend to come with me. Don't blow it. I would love for you to be thinking that. And I'm praying that you'll be right over there as the person you prayed for is baptized into Christ. You know, we've seen that here many times. 
and I'm praying that we'll see it many more times in the future. But when God puts someone in your path, you got to be ready. So this would be a good time to remind you about the series that begins next week. It's called You Ask For It. And we've taken all the questions that you submitted about God and faith and Christianity, and we're building this series around those questions. We're going to cover some challenging topics. We're going to hit on many hot-button issues that people outside the church are talking about. So who do you know that needs to be here? God may have in mind for you to play a significant role in leading that person to Christ. In fact, reaching out to that person may be your big step of faith. Well, we've reached the last item on my wish list, and this one is short and sweet. My wish is that you will never stop seeking Christ. If you are already on the journey of following Jesus, I pray that you won't grow complacent, you won't let your faith get stale. I pray that you won't be content to just go through the motions. I pray that you'll keep growing, keep seeking, keep letting the Spirit do His work to develop a mature heart in you. But you know, this last wish on the list also applies to any of you who aren't Christians yet. If you've been coming here and you've been trying to sort out what you believe and and you're still exploring Christianity, don't stop. I pray that you will keep seeking Christ until you find out that he is exactly what you've been looking for. Because I believe with all my heart that he is exactly what you've been looking for. I also believe that he rewards those who seek him. It's like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He's there. You will find him. And when you decide to give your life to him, he'll give you a new heart. And he'll give you a new life. Let's pray. Father, as I uh, go through this list of things that I wish for everyone here at Plum Creek and everyone who happened to walk through the doors today, I know that uh, you have a list too. And yours is better than mine because yours is, is perfect. You know exactly what we need. You know the next step that we need to take and, and you know the long-term plan for where we need to go and you know how to get there and you will give us the ability to get there as we surrender to you and put our lives in your hands. So Lord, I pray for that. I pray for that in this moment for all of us to just look to you offer our hearts to you and ask you to do whatever it is that you want to do or give us the boldness to follow where you lead. I pray these things in Jesus' name.